That's a good story. A good walk. I'll take you up there sometime. Tell you the story, too. Hey, everybody. You're listening to Don't Be Afraid of Your Dreams, the podcast where we talk about the movies we love and the monsters we all face. I'm your host, David Anderson, and today we're talking about... with a little help from Pet Cemetery. I censored myself a little bit in the intro there. I love a comedic bleep. But um, I did that not because I launched into a string of expletives, but because, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling a little emotionally raw and vulnerable. I always experience a big letdown after any big holiday or event, and of course, we're going into a week that has a lot of us on edge. So I wanted to gently ease into what I want to talk to you about on this episode, because I didn't want to scare you right off the bat. I know that sounds hypocritical from someone who loves to be scared, but I prefer a slow burn as opposed to a cheap jump scare anyway. I think this is a good time to talk about disappointment, continuing to confront our fears, and how to hold when things don't seem to be working out the way we want them to. So I want to talk about how to move forward when it feels like a dream has died, or a dream is not coming true, or maybe when a dream that you've held for a long time seems to be shifting and changing form, and how to begin to navigate that. I would have liked to push this episode, you know, 10 or 12 down the line. But one of the things we've agreed to do on the show is to tell the truth. So we're going to look this one right in the eye and move on. Okay? Now, I'm not sure I have all or any of the answers, but it might help if I talk through something I've been dealing with over the past year or so. So I'm going to tell you a scary story. Well, it scared the crap out of me anyway. And a good scary story is a nice way to help nurse our Halloween hangover anyway, right? A little her the dog. So this episode is for all of you out there who've been working to bring a heartfelt dream into the world. For any of you who've wanted to experience change or who are walking an unconventional path and maybe feel like that path has taken a detour into undesirable territory. So hang on. I'm going to put my hiking boots on and walk with you. And I think it might be a good idea if we stop by the pet cemetery. Oh, and I already ate all of my Halloween candy and pumpkin everything from Trader Joe's. So if you spot a roadside donut and cider stand or something, we're totally hitting that. While I get ready, we're going to hear a little something from our sponsor, Hypnosil. They've decided to stick with us for another episode. Thanks, Hypnosil. Believe me, sometimes it's easier not to dream. Tonight, will you be able to catch a great night's sleep? Or will it once again elude you as you are relentlessly plagued by manifestations of your deepest fears? I've got to remember that appointment tomorrow. Did I pay the gas bill? Am I terrible at life? Is my face melting? Introducing Hypnosil, a dream suppressant that can give you and your ragged mind the sleep you need. Hypnosil helps most people sleep dreamlessly all through the night and works quickly to alleviate fear, anxiety, and unwanted encounters with malevolent dream demons. Be sure you have at least eight hours to devote to sleep before becoming active. Until you know how you'll react to Hypnosil, you should not drive or operate machinery. Hypnosil is a highly experimental drug and should not be taken without first consulting your doctor, therapist, or some grad school superstar. Hypnosil carries some risk of dependency. Side effects may include unpleasant taste, headache, dizziness, ennui, paranoid delusions, sleepwalking, coma, and death. Ready to catch a great night's sleep? Just climb into bed and leave the rest to Hypnosil. Because sometimes it's easier not to dream.
Let's talk about the word dreams for a second because I'm sure you're going to get sick of me saying the word dreams. And I know it sounds kind of dippy and like something you'd write on your Lisa Frank notebook, but I like the word dreams. Our literal dreams are fluid and malleable, and a lot of times they don't make linear sense and they have their own internal logic. I like to think our figurative dreams are much the same way. But if you don't like the word dreams in the context of this conversation and you want to substitute something else that makes sense, you can just think about it in terms of something you want to experience or do or a way that you want your life to ultimately look. You can just sub that in every time I say dreams, but we'll all agree that that's what we're really talking about. Okay? You know what? I love a good quote. And obviously there are a lot of lofty, majestic, articulate quotes about dreams and making your dreams come true. If you're looking to um, successorize your cubicle with some you go girlisms that'll keep you motivated, there will be no shortage of quotes that you can pull from and find something that, um, that fits your vibe. So I'm going to read a couple to you and we're just going to sit with them for a second. Dreams come true. Without that possibility, nature would not incite us to have them. John Updike. If one advances confidently in the direction of one's dreams and endeavors to live the life which one has imagined, one will meet with a success unexpected in common hours. Henry David Thoreau. The only thing that will stop you from fulfilling your dreams is you. Tom Bradley. Don't soft pedal it, Tom Bradley. All right, those are all pretty great right? Empowering. They're kind of difficult to argue with or roll your eyes at. For the record, I totally believe them all. I totally buy them all. And probably most any other quote that you would find on this subject, I'd probably be like, yep, okay, I can get behind that. I personally believe that dreams do come true. I believe that there's nothing you can't be or do or have. I believe that you, we all deserve to feel like we're doing So much more than just getting by or eking out some subsistence level existence. I believe that your future is so bright you gotta wear shades. But let's talk about a difficult question, and that is what do you do or what's the experience like when despite all your best efforts and intentions, a dream just doesn't come true and remains stubbornly just beyond your grasp? I haven't found a lot of easily digestible quotes addressing that particular situation that feel honest comforting, or like anything other than, for me anyway, attempts to steamroll over my anger and frustration with something that makes it all totally my fault. After all, the only thing that will stop me from fulfilling my dream is me, right, Tom Bradley? That could be true, and I'm not one to shirk responsibility. On some level, it's better to believe that you did something wrong, rather than shaking your fist at the universe and all those annoying, quotable masters who are living their stupid best lives. I mean, at least if my dream isn't coming true, the world and the universe aren't conspiring against me. I was just doing dreams wrong, I guess, and it's up to me to figure it out. I don't know why sometimes it seems like dreams don't come true, or at the very least that things don't work out the way that we wanted them to. But if you have a situation like that in your life, I have tremendous empathy for you because the one thing that I do know is that when that happens, it sucks and it can be extremely painful. I know that experience can bring with it very real feelings of grief and confusion and loss and you ask why is this happening or why is it not happening and what do I do now? If all of those successful dreamers are right, I guess I should just feel sorry for myself for five more minutes and then pick myself up and get back to work. Maybe. If that's true for you, you'll know. If you're still feeling inspired and your dream tank is full, you'll know. But here's one thing I really want to offer you up front. I want to release you 
from carrying the burden of total responsibility. Is there a lot of work that has to be done to bring a dream into the world? Is there a lot of action that needs to be taken? A lot of planning, a lot of effort, strategy, and goal setting, if that works for you? Yeah, absolutely. But I also believe that there's an intangible magic, if you will, some kind of alchemy that has to happen to pull all of the pieces together that is beyond our control. Call it luck, call it right place, right time, whatever you want. And no matter what we do, no matter what we push forward, we can't really orchestrate that piece. Sometimes you can do everything right, everything right on paper. And for whatever reason, it just still doesn't happen. All right, I'm going to add one more quote to our list about dreams here. Ready? Okay, here we go. Sometimes dead is better. Sometimes dead is better. Judd Crandall from Pet Cemetery. Stephen King's Pet Cemetery. What if I told you that sometimes it's okay to let go? What if I told you that sometimes it's even healthy and that sometimes dead is better? Recently, I was rereading Pet Cemetery for, I don't know, the third or fourth time. I have a tendency to reread a lot of Stephen King in the summer months. Rather than expanding my horizons and reading something new, I go straight for the comfort food. It reminds me of being in middle school and high school and being on summer break and staying up late to read. Um, But aside from that nostalgia factor, it's always an interesting experience to revisit something that's been with you for a long time, to see how your relationship with it continues to evolve. The first time I read Pet Cemetery, I was 11 or 12, and probably responding to the idea of resurrection and the kind of down-and-dirty horror elements of the story. But this time around, I really found myself relating more to the themes of loss and to Lewis Creed. So there's Lewis Creed walking across the pages of Pet Cemetery, growing slowly more seduced and enthralled by the Indian, of course, the Indian burial ground that lies beyond the pet cemetery, unable to escape the hold that it has over him. But more than that, maybe he finds himself unable to escape the hold of the vision that he had for his life, the idealized vision that he had for his life and what that was going to look like. And that, of course, includes people and things whose time has passed, maybe, who he's unable to kind of stop clinging stubbornly to. It starts relatively harmlessly, of course, with church, the family cat, who's run over by one of the big rig trucks, constantly barreling down the highway that crosses in front of the Creed home. In order to spare his daughter's feelings, their well-meaning neighbor, Judd Crandall, introduces Lewis to the burial ground, which has the power to bring loved ones back to life. But of course, of course, they come back wrong. But Lewis just can't help himself. After he buries their cat, he returns to bury his son, and eventually his wife. We witness him unraveling while also kind of constantly able to rationalize and talk himself back into why he should try it again. And there's a lot of, yeah, but yeah, but this time it will be different. This time it'll be different. This time I'll act sooner. This time I'll have a better plan. This time they'll come back the way they were and everything will be the way it's supposed to be. So initially I sat there pitying poor Lewis Creed as he dragged yet another lifeless corpse back to that burial ground. But slowly I found myself getting just kind of steadily more annoyed with him like, Are you kidding me? It's not working. It's not going to work. Are you really going to bury your wife up there when you know she's going to stagger back as a hideous ghoul zombie mockery of who she was because you can't accept that she's gone? That is beyond terrible. But is something really better than nothing? So this might shock you because I'm sure you're already a few steps ahead. But I finally had to acknowledge that maybe I was getting uncomfortable and that some of my annoyance and judgment was a little bit misdirected because I was really kind of annoyed with myself and how much of myself I saw in Lewis Creed at that particular moment. Because when I was honest with myself and sort of looked at things in the context of the story, I had to acknowledge that I had been, I have been, I am, in a similar cycle of dragging a corpse back to my own private burial ground. And I've been doing it over and over and over again because I had decided 
I'd committed, I'd told people, I'd made up my mind that this thing, this dream, I was supposed to have it, and it was supposed to be exactly the way I'd imagined it to be, and I had done the work. I'd done my part, and I was just not going to give up on it, no matter what. Okay, hang on a second. I know in the book, in the movie, we're talking about real death, real loss, and in particular, the loss of a family member and even a child. I'm not a parent, and believe me, I'm not comparing any experience I've had to that of losing a child, but we're going to use that window. We're going to use that access point of the story to look at this. As we all have, I've experienced grief and loss, real loss of people in my life, of relationships ending, of disappointment, and stopping at certain points to ask, wait a minute, how did I get here? Mm, it wasn't supposed to be like this. I was supposed to have done more or been more or something. How did I let this happen? And dreams aren't totally unlike children, right? You birth a dream, you nurture it, you devote tremendous time and resources to it, we hope. The very idea of it fills you with joy. It belongs to you and you belong to it. You love it and you hope it will reach its potential and be all that you know it can be. And like children, dreams can also hurt and disappoint you. Maybe they leave. Maybe they tell you they want to be something else, or they just stubbornly refuse to come into the world at all. And with all the conventional wisdom and philosophy about dreams and success and building the life that you want, we're sort of conditioned to feel guilty, and not only guilty, but compelled to be, I don't know, tirelessly tenacious and resilient if whatever we're trying to accomplish isn't coming to pass. Try it again. Don't take no for an answer. Don't sit around being lazy and feeling sorry for yourself. I mean, come on, Lewis, get your shovel. I'm sure if you just do it better, faster, whatever, this time, it'll be different. This bloodbath is all your fault, so let's try to put the pieces back together. Hey, have you spotted any donuts yet? No? Fine. I think we've gotten lost already. My reception out here sucks, so while you get the map out, I'm going to hit you with a quote. This is another Stephen King quote. This is from Insomnia. The dream might have been more than a dream. It was as if a door in the wall of reality had come ajar, and now all sorts of unwelcome things were flying through. Isn't that true? Isn't that what dreams can sometimes do for us, sort of tease at the fabric of our reality and open a door that calls us into the next phase of our lives or into the next expression of ourselves? And it can be very daunting to begin that process. Okay, so where was I when this particular dream came calling? Well, there I was, toiling away in my cubicle for an entertainment market research company doing data analysis, looking at numbers and spreadsheets all day. Not really sure how my life had suddenly become all about things that I'd been trying to avoid up until this point. And by that, I basically mean math, I think. But how did I get there? Well, when I got that job, all I kind of knew at that point was that I wanted to work in entertainment in some capacity, and that that job fit that requirement. It was steady, it paid the bills, and I thought that would be enough for me, and that kind of working in entertainment, even in a six degrees of Kevin Bacon sort of way, would make me happy. I didn't see myself as any kind of creative person, but even if I had, or kind of secretly did, I didn't think that there was any way, certainly no practical way, for me to pursue a career that was creative or to turn my passion and interest into any kind of livelihood. Good luck with that. So I just thought, I'll work here on the sidelines and be close enough to these things that I love, meaning films and TV and everything else, that that'll be satisfying enough for me and I'll be happy with the security of benefits and a 401k and maybe this will be great and I'll climb that ladder and really make something of this. And that was true. That was true for sure for a while and that job certainly served me well. But before long, I started to get antsy. I found myself growing more and more uncomfortable with feeling like I had no real creative outlet in my life, no place to put that, and also feeling like I was just kind of a cog in a machine that was intent on figuring out how to best monetize other people's ideas and creativity. Um, started to feel just kind of gross, but more than gross, I guess. 
I think I started to feel a lot of jealousy towards people who were living what I saw as a more creative, fulfilling big life because I was so hungry for that myself. And for a while, I wasn't even aware of how important that was to me or how necessary that was until I realized that it was completely absent and that I was going slowly insane. You know that scene in The Omen where Damien's parents are taking him to a wedding at a church? And the closer they get to the church, the more he starts freaking out until finally he has a full-blown panic attack temper tantrum? That became me on my way to work. Every day, I'd get in the car, and the closer I'd get, I'd start sweating a little bit, and I'd grip the steering wheel until finally I was rolling into the driveway, going to put up my key card, and I just wanted to start screaming, No! 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 (laughs) So I realized that long-term, that was just not sustainable, and that I needed to find a way out. And I didn't want that way out to be just another job that would ultimately look kind of similar, but I really wanted to find something that felt like me, something that leveraged my passion and my interests and everything that I've always loved my entire life, or at least find a way that all of that could be part of it. Maybe that sounds kind of privileged or whatever, but I don't think it's too much to ask for any of us that we be happy (laughs) and engaged in something that feels on purpose with who we are. Of course, there are certain parts of every job that suck and it's not always fun, but you know, when you feel your soul slowly dying, maybe it's time to listen to that. I was definitely having one of those is that all there is moments that sometimes invite our dreams to start calling, right? When we're in that vulnerable state, sometimes we're a little more open and able to hear them. I think unfortunately, it sometimes takes getting to that point. A lot of times it takes us experiencing what we don't want to gain a little more clarity on what we do want and to figure out what we need. At one point, when I was knee deep in the midst of that existential crisis, I happened to be at a party and a stranger struck up a conversation with me by asking the dreaded question that people always ask when they're making small talk, which is, what do you do? So I told him what I did and a few seconds in, he put up his hand and kind of stopped me and basically said, so you're telling me that you work for a company that tracks sales of physical media, which is a dying or dead format. So really what you're telling me is that your job is totally obsolete and that what you do is meaningless. Aside from the fact that I think it takes a lot of nerve to talk to a total stranger like that, this person somehow managed to hone in on my softest, most vulnerable spot and poke at it and mirror back to me exactly how I was already feeling. So kind of like I just read Dreams for Dummies, does that exist? I don't know, probably. I started asking myself all those questions that I guess they say you should ask yourself when you're trying to figure out what you want to do. What do you love? What makes you happy? What would you do for free? And as it turns out, I knew the answers to those questions. I love creating an experience for people. I love Halloween. I love horror and horror movies. I love everything that happens in October, and I always have. As a kid, I was always making haunted houses in my bedroom, in air quotes, haunted houses, all year long. I would set up a TV tray in my living room and make my parents buy tickets to go through, and I never really stopped doing that. I was always planning for the next Halloween or finding opportunities to indulge in that compulsion. So when I was honest with myself, it was obvious, and probably obvious to everyone but me, that that was my thing, and that in some way, this should be part of my life. And if I could make that into a career, then that's what I should do. And even though I grew up in Southern California, certainly with a lot of theme parks and a lot of events around Halloween, even before it became as popular as it is now, we always had Not Scary Farm and things like that. So I knew that there were certainly people who made a living doing this, but it had never really occurred to me that I might be able to be one of those people. And I don't know why that is. I think maybe because I was always just sort of intent on walking a more conventional path, and I didn't see that as a real possibility. 
One of the things that further clarified that for me was I went to Halloween Horror Nights at Universal Studios. And that event went away in Southern California for a while. We didn't have it. And when it eventually came back, they'd sort of rebranded it and re-envisioned it. And they were doing haunted houses based on intellectual properties, movies that I loved and grew up with, like A Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th. And when I went to that event and it felt like I was walking through these movies that I loved so much and saw the detail and sophistication and the clear love for this material that went into it. I was with my friend Nick when we were there who said, oh my God, David, I've never seen you this happy. So that was a moment for me where I felt like it was a nudge of inspiration. Like, yeah, there are people who are doing this at a very high level and I think I want to be one of those people. Coincidentally, or not coincidentally, I guess, about the time that was happening, my good friend Val saw a new segment on the event and she called me right away and she left this very fevered message. I can still hear it. She was like, David, there's this guy and he does the Halloween thing at Universal Studios and he works with A Nightmare on Elm Street and all this stuff that you love and you have to do that and you have to work with that guy or you have to be that guy somehow and figure out how to do that. And I was like, that's it. That's right. That is what I have to do. It's a sign. I totally believe in signs, by the way. So that may sound lofty, and I certainly didn't think that it was going to happen the next day, but I set my sights on at some point working in a creative capacity on Halloween Horror Nights at Universal Studios because if you're going to do something, you might as well be the best at it, right? And that, for me, was the most inspiring, the kind of gold standard. So I decided that I was going to try to make that happen in any way, any way that I could. And I had no illusions about, you know, jumping right into that, certainly not jumping right to the top, but I was willing to go about it however I needed to do it. And I was looking at trying to recontextualize my work experience and figure out, okay, how do I marry what I'm good at with all of these things that really light me up? And for once in my life, for once in my goddamn life, I wasn't going to listen to all the naysayers intent on telling me how hard it was going to be, or that it's impossible to change direction like that once you've gone so far down a certain path. I wanted to be brave in service to pursuing something that felt so right. I also had a family friend of my parents who never wanted his life to get stale, who always wanted to be growing and having new experiences. So every seven years, he would totally reinvent himself and pursue a new career. And at one point, he happened to own a magic and Halloween shop where I got my first job when I was 15. So I decided to put him on my list of mentors and believe that this was possible. Will there be a lot of work involved? Sure. No problem. I'm totally up for that. So what do I do? How do I do this? One of the first things I did was I started to come up with a list of names of anyone and everyone I could find who was working in themed entertainment, particularly if they were working on a Halloween event, doing something that looked like what I wanted to do, to see if they would talk to me, to see if they would meet with me, to see if they could offer me some kind of advice or mentorship. If I were to say, this is where I am, this is where I want to be, if you were me knowing what you know now, what would you do? Some people were willing to talk to me and have that conversation, some weren't. But regardless, the only kind of commonality among all of them was to say, like, I don't know. I don't really know. I just kind of somehow ended up here and I wish I could tell you to go get this degree or go get this particular experience and that will ultimately get you where you want to go. But everyone had kind of just found their way into the work that they were doing. And that was kind of liberating because I could, I guess, have the freedom to forge my own path. But it was also kind of annoying because I was really looking for someone to just tell me what to do so that I could do it. That's what happens when you choose an unconventional path, I guess. If you want to be a doctor or a lawyer or something, not that that's easy by any means, but there are certain steps that you have to take and there's a kind of clear trajectory. Not so with something like this. I had some positive conversations with people who were very kind and generous with me and some not so positive conversations and interviews. And side note, because of that, 
I made a, I don't know, a deal with the universe that if I'm ever in a position to help someone or if someone just wants to talk to me about my experience or whatever it is and I'm in a position to do that, I will always say yes. And I will always talk to them because I so appreciated it when people were willing to do that for me when I was asking for help. The details aren't really important, but I went to every convention and networking event that I could. I asked for advice. I hired career coaches and worked to develop a creative portfolio. I volunteered and worked for minimum wage at any event or production that would allow me to gain real-world experience while continuing to work my day job. I took meetings with like-minded people who might be interested in collaborating. I cold-called and pestered people, which was not easy for me to do at all. And of course, scoured job listings and applied for anything and everything that seemed like it might get me closer. I was eventually, of course, laid off from my job, which I really thought would give me the freedom that I needed to find my way into the next phase of my life. I was lucky enough to collaborate on a few high-profile events in the area and continue to have promising interviews that really made it seem like I was getting close. And I was even told a few times by people who felt like they might be holding the keys to my destiny, just hang in there. It was frustrating to feel like I was waiting for permission or for my big yes. So finally last year, I decided to take what felt like another leap and produce my own pop-up Halloween event and kind of take things into my own hands as much as I possibly could, rather than depending on someone else to offer me an opportunity. But like everything else, it felt like it just kind of came and went without leaving a trace of the next breadcrumb. So as the years, yes, years went by, I would put tremendous pressure on myself to make it happen, to find the right thing. This Halloween is going to be when it takes off, right? And it always kind of felt like starting from scratch, but I didn't want to give up. I'd already invested so much time and effort. I told so many people that this is what I wanted to do. How embarrassing to just quit or have to tell people, yeah, I couldn't figure it out. And maybe that means I'm not very good at this anyway. Plus, I absolutely believe that by saying yes and deciding to be as courageous as I could in pursuit of this, there was no way this wasn't going to ultimately open up for me. Fortune favors the bold and all that. But slowly but surely, this dream started to feel very heavy. And the specter of Halloween and all the stuff around it that used to bring me so much joy began to be tainted with disappointment and became symbolic of what other people were doing and achieving that I felt I wasn't able to do myself. But I didn't want to be a self-indulgent sad sack about it. Maybe I should keep going. Maybe I wasn't really trying hard enough. Maybe if I try something else, this time it'll be different. This time I'll have a better plan. This time I'll find the right thing. This time I'll be smarter. This time I'll start earlier. This time, this time, this time. Let me try this again. Until it really started to feel like what I was left with was a rotting corpse of a dream that was not bringing me any joy and was just sort of intent on wrapping its cold, clammy hands around my throat and strangling me to death. I gotta tell you, I felt like I did my part, but the magic never showed up, for lack of a better word. That magic, that key ingredient, as long as we're doing our work, we still need that extra little nudge to really get us there. And it just wasn't happening. And I kind of just didn't want to do it anymore. But it was really hard to admit that to myself. Honestly, it felt like grief. The more I had to acknowledge that everything I was trying wasn't working and that this maybe simply wasn't meant to be. Maybe there's no life left in the stream, and I would just have to come to terms with letting it go and stop dragging it back to the burial ground to try to resurrect it yet again and make it into something that it was never going to be. And that's kind of where I am now. Maybe sometimes dead is better. Maybe sometimes we just have to let it go and make room for something else to come in. Maybe I was just being too stubborn, and I was trying to tell my life what it should be rather than listening to it tell me what it 
wanted to be. Maybe like people, I happen to believe, dreams don't really die. They sometimes just change form, wander off into new planes of existence, have new experiences, who knows? But that feels better, right? So here I am with you. Are you exhausted? No, you're fine. But here we are together on this podcast, and maybe that's the next step. Maybe for now, this is where we get to gather and celebrate everything we love and walk through the haunted house that is our lives. I need a donut. Why am I so obsessed with donuts today? I think it's time to ask the oracle. Real quick, just a reminder, I've created an online deck of divination cards, pulling from the wit and wisdom of horror films in case you need a little guidance or input on a situation in your life. So let's see what they have to say about everything that we've been talking about. I'm going to pull a card now, and the card we have drawn is straight to video. And the text on the card reads, Why are you settling for mediocrity in your life? You deserve the best and should demand nothing but the best. Hold yourself and those around you to higher standards. Your life need not be a bargain bin misfire with embarrassingly low production values. Reassess what it is you really want and take some time to make the appropriate changes. Telling it like it is, Horacle. Even when things appear to not be working out, don't settle for less than what you really want. So, I'll tell you what. I'm not going to resign myself to accepting an off-brand approximation of the life that I want to live. I'm going to reboot it and attempt to course correct. What will that look like exactly? I don't know yet, but if it's good enough for Jamie Lee Curtis, it's good enough for me. I guess I'm all about quotes today, so I'm going to hit you with one more quote here at the end. We must be willing to let go of the life we planned so as to have the life that is waiting for us. That is Joseph Campbell. So where does that leave us? Well, maybe our dreams are smarter than we are. Maybe sometimes we think we know what will make us happy, but we can only see as far as the next bend in the road given where we're standing now. Okay, I spent years of my life chasing something that didn't seem to have much interest in chasing me back, but that's okay. Rather than digging up the past, I'm going to try to open up to the possibility that maybe there's something else out there for me. And I promise that the same is true for you. Whatever your version of that story is, if you're disappointed, confused, angry, if a job, relationship, belief, or anything you've been hanging on to is dragging you back instead of carrying you forward, I give you permission to grieve and move on. After all, sometimes dead is better. So, let's take a deep breath and put our shovels down on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Did you do it? If I'm the only one who did it, I'm gonna be so mad. Anyway, you're gonna be fine. So what's next? Something awesome. Tell me everything. Bye. This show is an Unreliable Narrator production. For more information, visit unreliablenarrator.org. Sometimes, that is better.